uh, I'd like to ask you to stand as we read God's word and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's a white Bible in the seats that looks something like this, and we'll be on page 639. Colossians chapter 4. Be reading verses 2 through 6. Let's listen to God's word to us this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come ready to listen, to hear from you, from your word. So I pray that as we prepare our hearts, that you would indeed soften our hearts and um, Lord, open our ears, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see wonderful things from your word this morning. And we know that the one to whom you will look is the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at your word. So Father, I come this morning trembling, but confident that because of your spirit, you can speak through me and you can open eyes and ears to hear the word of God this morning. Be with us, teach us, and help us to come away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many of you do not do New Year's resolutions on purpose? How many of you, now nah, I'm making all those people that do feel bad. How many of you do make New Year's resolutions? Anybody? All right, that's good. We've got about seven of you, okay. How many of you used to make New Year's resolutions? Okay, we'll get a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah, um, why, why did you stop? Because you never do them. <laughs> Resolution to make no more resolutions. Yeah, we, we, we tend to stop doing those things sometimes because we don't follow through. Um, our intentions are good and we don't follow through on them. Some of you, though, do, and I, I applaud you for that. This morning I want to talk about intentionality um, because I was struck with the, the concept as I read through this week's passage um, that none of these things happen by accident. None of the things we're going to be talking about this morning just kind of happen. They don't just appear out of thin air. They take intentionality. And so as we get to the end of the book of Colossians, we'll finish next week, uh, we see that these are kind of the nuts and bolts, kind of the wrap-up to the book. Paul tends to do this in his letters. He, he takes some major themes, some problems in the churches, and at the end, it's, it's like he just can't help himself. He includes a lot of things um, in a short period of time at the end of his letters. And so we'll see that uh, this morning. But after Nuts and Bolts, I put a subtitle. And you'll see that there, the intentionality of the new self. And I get that idea of the new self if you'll just look back at Colossians um, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. In this whole section that Pastor Ron talked about putting off, putting on, like clothing, um, these various uh, good things and these bad things. In verse 9 he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on 
the new self. Uh, if you this morning are a Christian, are uh, one who has trusted Christ, you've put your faith in his death and resurrection, and you have been saved and you have been given new life, then we have what is called here in Colossians the new self. Uh, and yet the new self must be intentional. Just like when you make those New Year's resolutions, they won't happen unless you're intentioned to do it. You intend to do it. You move to do it. So we must have intentionality. And you see, the Christian life so often in a, in a place like America, where, where we have it easy, there's no persecution, or very little, um, we are wealthy people, um, we don't necessarily have to be intentional about our faith because so many other things distract us. And so this morning, I would challenge myself and I would challenge you to renew your intentions of following Jesus as the new self, renewed in the image of Jesus Christ, looks to following Jesus. We must be intentional. You'll see there in your notes even. I just grabbed some uh, dictionary definitions. Intention is a purpose or goal, an aim. Uh, if you're purposeless, if you're unintentional, while brandishing a weapon, bad things happen. Um, how many of you have been shooting in the last year? few of you um it's not loosey-goosey at the firing range uh my, my cousin is a police officer and he's taken a shooting uh many times and there's uh checking the weapon double checking the weapon triple checking the weapon um repeating instructions to those who do not normally hold a gun um because you must be intentional you must be aiming um, in order to fire that weapon accurately. And in the same way, in order to live the Christian life accurately, we must be intentional. There must be an aim. And so intentional, there in your notes, is performed by or expressing intention. And then I love this word. Your note, your blank there is deliberate. Deliberate. Um, we need to be deliberate people in our Christian lives. That means it takes time, it takes energy, it takes focus, it takes aiming, it takes intentions to be deliberate. I looked up the the uh, oft-quoted phrase, he who fails to plan is planning to fail. Uh, the internet cannot uh, verify who said that. Some people it was Benjamin Franklin, some people it was Winston Churchill. Uh, we'll just say a wise person once said, he who fails to plan is planning to fail. And that's, that's an accurate statement. Uh, have you seen that in your life? Um, you have um, the desire to maybe to do something, to get a project done. Uh, but unless you plan, you will fail. Because you must plan in order to be intentional, to be deliberate. And that brings us into the passage that Paul um, here ends most of the exhortation of the book of Colossians, the letter to the church at Colossae with... So let's look at verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And here's where we start with uh, point number one. The new self intentionally prays. The new self intentionally prays. Now, this passage all week was, was punching me in the gut. Um, so I hope you, you feel a little bit of that because... I have a hard time reading this sentence and not feeling guilty. Anybody else feel that way? 
have a hard time reading this sentence and not thinking of my failures. And so at the outset, here's what I want to do. I want to say some of those feelings are good, but we don't want to be stuck there. We don't want to be stuck there. We want to, to see this, be challenged by it, be convicted, and see what God is calling us to do. The new self intentionally prays. I thought as soon as I read this verse, um, Paul is very intentional with the wording. Look at, look at the wording. He could have said, continue in prayer, period. And that would have been a, a challenging, helpful exhortation. Continue in prayer. But he does not end there. He adds some modifiers to help us here. So he puts in steadfastly. Okay, so think of that word, steadfastly, immovable. Okay, he adds being watchful in prayer. And then at the end adds with thanksgiving. And all those phrases are helpful for us. And this is not a new concept. If, if you grew up in church and you've read Paul's epistles, you'll see in Romans 12, 12, that Paul says, be in constant prayer. In Ephesians 6, he says, pray at all times. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Um, this is a common theme for the Apostle Paul. And, and, and I just want to, to help us think through this. Um, sometimes we look at this with not really, um, a mature eye and we say, well, pff, I can't pray all the time. And then that helps us excuse not praying. Uh, and what is going on here is not that we're constantly in a conscious state of remembering requests of praising God in full and complete sentences, but it is an attitude, an atmosphere even of prayer. It is, it is a way that we live in prayer, meaning that we're ready to pray at any time. Um, we are in, in the kind of place where we see things and it just triggers us to pray. Um, that This is what Paul is talking about. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And so the first of, of several points here you have under point number one is A, persevering. That's what I think of when steadfastly. Prayer is must be persevering. Um, Several of you have climbed uh, Mount Whitney, some of you very recently. Uh, that is, I believe, a 22-mile hike to the highest peak in the lower 48 states. You do not finish that hike without persevering. Uh, I remember doing it. I was hiking alongside Jacob Ailes and his brother Jonathan. Jacob, how tall are you? Six, two and a half. And Jonathan's right around there. I don't know if you noticed this. The Ailes boys, uh, men, have long legs. Um, I'm of average height. That hike was perseverance for me. I remember telling both uh, Jacob and Jonathan multiple times, guys, can we stop? Can we stop? Because every step they take is like this for me, and I'm just not going to be hiking up to 14,000 feet, extending my legs like that. It took much perseverance to continue that hike, to finish that hike. And that's just, just one little illustration of, of the things that we have in this life that require perseverance. And one of those is prayer. How many of you get distracted when you pray? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's real easy, right? Um, that is something that we all wrestle with. And so Paul's admonition to us this morning is to continue steadfastly in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Now, one author said that this phrase could be rendered unrelenting persistence. 
never stopping, never giving up. Um, perhaps this is also um, thinking about Epaphras' example just a few verses later. Look at verse 12 of chapter 4. We'll study this next week. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Do we characterize our prayers as struggle? Or do we, do we give up before we even get to that point? When, when the time comes to struggle, that's the time to say amen. Uh, Epaphras is one who struggles in his prayer. He is steadfast. He perseveres. One author said this, A prayerful attitude is not a substitute for regular times of prayer, but should be an outgrowth of those times. So um, I know that oftentimes I think I'm doing pretty good in my prayer life when, when I see something and I pray. I'm driving down and I see something happen and I pray. Or I think of something, something pops into my head and I pray. But oftentimes um, there's no block of time where I, I am on my knees or sitting in a chair or standing and just praying to God regularly. And, and what this author is saying is if we're steadfast in our prayers, if we're persevering in our prayers, then what we will be doing is we will be doing a regular time of prayer which will, which will feed into these spontaneous prayers that need to happen. Um, and, and that's what that I think we really need to hear this morning. I need to hear this this morning. I'm going to read that again. A prayerful attitude is not a substitute for regular times of prayer but should be an outgrowth of those times. You see, even in this church body, there are many things for us to pray for. I've already exhorted you this morning to pray for Joelle this Wednesday, uh, for her, her trip from London to Kosovo. There are many needs in this church to pray for those wrestling with cancer, um, for those at home sick, um, debilitated, uh, for those starting school or already have started school. Um, let's be a, the, time, the kind of people that regularly set aside time to pray, that we persist, that we persevere in it. Uh, if you will turn in your Bibles to, ch- to Luke chapter 18, you'll see Jesus' example here of prayer. The parable of the persistent widow. Now this is a, a, a little bit of a weird parable um, uh, unless you're willing to dig in. So we're not going to cover, we're not preaching Luke 18 this morning, but I want to show you Jesus' parable. Luke 18, verse 1, he says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the story goes that in a certain city, um, this widow um, is, is looking for justice from a judge. She's going to him and looking for justice. And, and he um, does not listen to her, but she persists. She keeps going to him. And finally, the judge says this. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. That's a good, good way to start a sentence. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. <laughs> I can imagine hearing Jesus say that. And the people listening say, so... You want us to what? <laughs> what, what do we, we want you want us to be annoying. Is that the moral of the story? We want to be, we should be bothersome. No, he, he goes on and says, if the judge, by being bothered by this widow's persistence, gives justice, how much more will a good and kind father, the judge of all, give justice to those he loves that come before him persistently? 
See, we have an example here of a widow going before this judge persistently. And so much more is the, is the picture for us to go consistently, persistently to a father who loves us and who desires to give us good gifts. So be persevering in your intentional prayer. Letter B is alert. Um, some of your versions have this in uh, verse 2. Alert, or in the ESV, it's being watchful. And the question here is watchful for what? And there have been lots of things proposed. Being watchful in it, in your prayer. Some have said being watchful, looking for Christ's return, uh, which looks likely in First Thessalonians. Um, looking for answers to prayer, being watchful in, in asking God and seeing what he's going to do. Um, but the picture that's probably the best one is just the, this, this factor of being alert. Right, So when Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem and he begins this huge project of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, the people are called to be on alert because of their enemies and to be in prayer. So to be watchful, to be alert. And, and some of the things that happen when we're alert is we're intentional about our prayer. We don't just, um, we don't just lob up prayers, we're intentional about them because we're watching, because we're alert, because we're looking. Um, it is it is worth in this sanctuary today to look around and to be alert and to see items for prayer, to see opportunities for prayer um, at your place of employment, at your school, that we would be alert people, watchful in our prayers, intentional in our prayers. So we ought to be doing that. We ought to continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it. Letter C is thankful. And, and really, what kind of, of prayer is adequate without thanksgiving? Without an attitude of gratitude, to be thankful to the Lord. In fact, this is a, an item that we've seen several times in the book of Colossians. So, it's not a long book. You might not even need to turn back the page. But in verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul says, "...giving thanks to the Father." Talking about his qualification of the Colossians to share in the inheritance. Um, in chapter 2, verse 7, that were rooted and built up in Christ, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and were what? Abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing in thankfulness. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, thankfulness is mentioned three times. Be thankful. Okay. Singing with thankfulness. Whatever you do in word or deed, giving thanks. Uh, this is a repeated theme that Paul continues to go back to. And so our prayers ought to be done in thanksgiving. Thankful to a God who saved us. Thankful to a God who is near, who listens. Thankful to a God who doesn't tolerate sin. Thankful to a God who's sending his son to return for us. Thankful to a God who's given us this place that we can sit Freely and listen to God's word being expounded. Are your prayers characterized by thanksgiving? You see, we in our, in our sinful nature sometimes can, can tweak our prayers and our prayers become complaints. If you read the Psalms, you'll see that complaints happen in the prayers. But you will almost always see some kind of thankfulness to God before the end of that Psalm. God, what is going on? How long? Why? But often, almost always, a return to saying, but I'll praise you. I'll thank you. 
And so we ought to be people that even in the darkest, hardest circumstances, see those things that we can be thankful to God for. So our prayers ought to be persevering. They ought to be alert. They ought to be thankful. And I think verses 3 and four, three through 4 show us that they ought to be specific. Now there's nothing wrong with a, a general prayer of praise to God. But our prayers ought to be specific. We ought to be praying specifically. And I think part of the reason we do that is just so that we can focus our hearts. And so that we can be specific with God. And we ask Him specific things. Look down at verse 3. Verse 2 is is talking about prayer kind of in general. And verse 3 begins a specific prayer request. Paul says at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul asks specifically, pray for us in this venture of sharing the gospel, of the word having an open door. This is phenomenal. The apostle Paul asking for prayer. You see, he's not above asking for someone to pray for him. And sometimes we fit the bill. I don't want to share... This prayer request, it's a little humiliating. We need to be people that are willing and able to to open up to ask people to pray for us. Don't you need to be prayed for? (laughs) I need to be prayed for often. I know this. We ought to be the kind of people that are willing to help other people pray specifically because we give them specific requests. Um, this is, is done so well in so many venues um, in, in our community groups and our Sunday school classes on the Village Bible Facebook page. Often prayer requests are shared. Um, uh, we have a phone tree where you can be notified of specific prayer requests. Make yourself, uh, make these things something that you use so that you may be able to pray specifically so that we can know things and pray for them specifically during the week that God may open to us a door for the word. And what Paul is doing here, I want to look a little closer at this, is uh, I think it's Roman numeral number one, little Roman numeral number one there, is that we should intentionally pray for open doors for the word. We should intentionally pray for open doors for the word. Verse three, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. This talk of a door is is repeated throughout the book of Acts. In fact, if you remember, Paul and his companions are in Asia Minor and they're looking to go one way and the Spirit says, no, don't go that way. And they go, okay. And they go another way. They go to go north and the Spirit says, no, no, don't go that way. And, and rather than giving up and being frustrated, they look for a door. And the door opens in Troas. And God directs the Apostle Paul and his team to a port city and they go from there and they become the first missionaries to share the gospel in the continent of Europe. Looking for an open door. Praying for an open door. And that's what our missionaries need us to be praying for them. That God would open doors of opportunity for them. Uh, one of the missionary couple that, that Amy and I know um, are, are in a, an Asian country um, that is uh, a country where Christians are persecuted. Uh, they recently have been sick, the three of them, the mom, the dad, and the little baby, for like the past month. And this last week, their car was stolen. They need prayer for an open door 
for God to provide the car so they can go through several open doors that they've seen to share the gospel with people. There are all kinds of opportunities. Look at that missionary uh, prayer sheet in your worship folder. Those are opportunities to pray for open doors. We ought to pray for open doors for ourselves. Uh, last night, Amy and I are getting ready for bed and some uh, very obnoxious rap music begins to blare from the apartment across the way. Um, there literally was an open door as I knocked on it to ask them to turn their music down. Uh, but I really was, was praying, even last night, that, that God would perhaps open that door, literally, for us to share the gospel with these people. Um, are we looking for open doors, or are we walking past them? Pray for open doors for the word. And here I want us to look at Roman numeral numeral number two. Intentionally share the gospel with urgency and regardless of the cost. Intentionally share the gospel with urgency regardless of the cost. Look at the end of verse three. On account of which I am in prison. Paul says, because I preach the gospel, that's the reason that I'm in prison. He's not humiliated. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He knows that's the reason he's in prison. And then he asks for this, this amazing request that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And that should, in one sense, I, I'm, I, I mean, very much discouraged by that. Oh man, Paul had to ask for help. If Paul had to ask for help, but then I'm encouraged. If Paul had to ask for help, then that's a good thing because that means when I kind of fumble through or, or get a little fearful of sharing the gospel, Paul needed prayer to make it clear. And so we need prayer. And that encourages me. Because if Paul needed the prayer to share the gospel, that means he wasn't perfect. Because how often do we put Paul up on this pedestal when we're reading the New Testament? And it's, Paul! Right? And and he becomes this unattainable person. In fact, that's not at all what Paul wanted to be. How many times reading through Paul's letters does he say, imitate me? Imitate me. Imitate me. And so we ought to imitate Paul and intentionally share the gospel with urgency and regardless of the cost while asking for people to, sh- to pray for us. And there is a sense of urgency here. In verse 4, the ESV says that I may make it clear. Uh, I, I think it's better, it's better translated, as some translations say, that I may reveal it. The, the word here is the same as, as to make manifest, to reveal it. And so it's as if I have something that I need to uncover and reveal for you. And in that sense, we're looking at unbelievers who their eyes are blinded. A veil is over their eyes and we need to reveal the gospel to them. We need to share it. And in the Greek here, it's a sense of urgency to not just make it clear, but to make it clear. And then he says, which is how I ought to speak. And this is is a way that Paul says he he knows he has to do this. In the Greek, it's a word that says, it means must, or it is necessary, which is how I of necessity must speak. Okay, I must speak the gospel. I must reveal it, and I must do it clearly. Do you know the gospel? Can you share the gospel? Can you reveal the gospel? Listen, the gospel is not just for when you got saved and now you put it in a shelf and look at it and say, oh, that was nice. Remember that? No, the gospel is, is clearly evident for our life in Christ. 
we need to we need to dwell on the gospel. We need to meditate on the gospel. We need to know the gospel so that we may share the gospel clearly and with a sense of urgency. Well, before we get on to the second part of the passage, I, I just wanted to read this story that, that highlights the power of prayer. Right? So, so a lot of us may be thinking this is really difficult to, to be intentional about prayer. And that's true. It is. It's a struggle. We must wrestle with it. But I want you to hear this story and I want you to look at the benefits of being willing to wrestle in prayer. It's from the, the life of uh, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. And the story goes like this. There was a mission station that was particularly blessed in the China Inland Mission. Far above the others. There seemed to be no accounting for this because others were equal in devotion and in ability. Hudson Taylor was traveling and speaking back in England and after a meeting, a man came up and began to ask him about that particular station. Then he began to ask many personal questions. It turned out that the man had been the college roommate of the missionary at that station many years earlier and he had committed himself to daily praying for the work there. Hudson Taylor said, Then I knew the answer. Consistent, persistent, persevering, steadfast prayer reaches the heart of God and God answers prayer. God answers prayer. How exciting it is to see God answer prayer. But we won't see those answers if we're not praying. God will do amazing things. In fact, he is doing amazing things. Are you part of it? Are you in on it? What an amazing opportunity we have to be in on the amazing things that God is doing. William Carey said to expect great things from God. And then because you expect great things from God, to attempt great things for God. And that's the way that we should live. And that's the way our prayers should be. They should be audacious prayers. They should be crazy prayers. They should be the kind of prayers that nobody but our God could answer. And that's the kind of people we need to be. Well, second point of this passage Paul shifts gears. And so point number two is the new self intentionally lives wisely in actions and in speech. The new self intentionally lives wisely in actions and in speech. And before we even get to verses five and six, all Paul is doing here is repeating what he said in verse 17 of chapter three. So take a look at that. And whatever you do in word, and indeed, or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul's call is, whether you're speaking or whatever you're, you're doing, to do all for God, to do all for the Lord Jesus in his name. And so verses 5 and 6 really just flesh that out. So where, whereas Paul was fairly general in verse 17 in chapter 3, whatever you do, whatever you do, 5 and 6 give us some specific ways to put this into play. And also, um, we, we see that by walking wisely, look at verse 5, walk in wisdom. By walking wisely, we just have to go back a few sermons ago to Pastor Ron telling us to put on the right clothes. The, the imagery that Paul uses of putting on these things back in verses 12 through 14, to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, to put on love. And that is a way that we walk wisely. 
So let's look at this. Walk in wisdom is the way the ESV puts it. Um, in the Greek, wisdom comes first. So it's literally, in wisdom, be walking. So in the way that you're, you're living, be living in wisdom. And so a lot of times in the Greek, the, the, the authors, even secular authors, would use the, the, the phrase walking to be living. Um, the way you walk is not strictly to say the way you walk should be wise. Don't run into things. Don't hit people. No, it's the way you live, the way you walk to be wise. And, and in the scriptures, we're not, we're not searching around really hard to find help in wisdom. The book of James chapter 1 says to ask God for wisdom. Why? Because he gives liberally. Ask God for wisdom. Do you need wisdom this week? Are there decisions that you have to make? Are there people you need to talk with? Do you need wisdom? Ask God. He's ready and willing and able to pour out his wisdom on you. Now specifically here, we're to walk in wisdom toward whom? Outsiders. I heard someone whisper it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, really, really important that we be careful here. And that's what letter A is in your notes. We must be careful in how we think of outsiders. We must be careful how we think of outsiders. We are prone to like being on the inside. We like knowing things that other people don't. We like having privileged information. And so if we're not careful, Christian, we see ourselves on the inside. And then we begin this culture war and look at those evil, wicked people on the outside. I can't believe they would do such a thing or support such a thing or say such a thing. And that's, that's not where we want to go with this. We have to be very careful because for the mere fact that you were once an outsider, were you not? We were once outsiders, outside the faith. How dare we then look at those who are acting, living like we used to and look down upon them. We must be very, very careful. In fact, we got to be careful with that term, outsiders. It's a dangerous term. It, it, it connotes sometimes us versus them language. We need to be really careful. And here's one really good reason. Turn back in your Bible just a few pages probably to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Recognizable passage, the armor of God. Ephesians 6 verse 10, look at it with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so war mentality. Strap on your armor. Get ready to fight. You're a soldier. Again, Wartime language, dangerous language. And this is what balances it out. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don the armor of God not to fight the bad guys across the street or in the other political party or in the other part of your work situation. We strap on the armor of God to fight against principalities and powers. To fight against the demonic forces that Satan has under his control. We are in this weird situation where the Bible uses wartime language. We're at war and we are trying to convert those under control of the other side. 
You see, so we're in a minefield where we must be very, very careful. We are entering um, convention season. Uh, the Republican National Convention, I believe, starts tomorrow night, and the Democratic National Convention is, I think, a week later or coming up soon. Listen, in, in all the political language and in all the talk shows and that many of us listen to, we must be very, very careful that we don't begin to label other people, whatever, outsiders, liberals, Democrats, abortionists, and then view them as the enemy. See, the enemy is the one who stands behind them, who the Bible says is blinding them. When we were outsiders, we were blinded by the prince of the power of the air. So as we talk about walking in wisdom toward outsiders, we're not trying to draw hard and fast lines and say, outsiders. We're saying, outsiders. Like us. Like we used to be. And that brings us to point B. Every outsider is a potential insider. (laughs) That's why we share the gospel. To turn from darkness to light. Okay, from turn to the, the, the domain of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus. That's what is going on here. That's why you're still on this earth. Every outsider is a potential insider. And I use the word every on purpose. That person you've been praying for for 40 years is still a potential insider. God saves people on their deathbed, folks. God saves people in their childhood. Our job is to share the gospel and we leave salvation because it belongs to the Lord. So as we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, back in Colossians, we do so by making the best use of the time. This one Steps on my toes. <laughs> Making the best use of the time. You know that, that in this age, we have more free time than any age before us? You may feel really, really busy. And no doubt, many of you are. Most, most of us have a two-day weekend. That's unheard of in human history. Unheard of. We have... So much free time. And that's where we're called to make the best use of that free time. Now, you high schoolers think I'm about to go on a rampage against video games. That's only one little part of this. We must make the best use of the time. And this is really important because the, the word that's used in the Greek was, was a, market, a market term. When you go to the marketplace, um, this word is, is basically to buy up. And so the picture is, there, there's time at, at the, mar- let's just say you're at the swap meet, okay? You're walking by all the displays and the tables, and, and you are trying to buy up time to make the best use of time. In fact, one, one commentator said it's like buying up time like a determined bargain hunter. How many of you are bargain hunters? Looking for that bargain? Um, Every once in a while, we need a, a, a new, and by new, I mean used piece of furniture to replace something in our home. And Amy goes on Craigslist duty. And we're searching for bargains. And I've joked with Amy in the past that, that when we get going on Craigslist, it's never ending. It's a hunt until we find the best bargain. Uh, there was a time when we were 
um, looking for some new furniture, and we borrowed uh, Fred Johnson's truck, which in itself was scary. Um, driving Fred's truck, and we drove all over Orange County looking for bargains to buy up these bargains before someone else bought it up. So the picture here is, is that you make the best use of your time by buying up time. You find a bargain and you buy it up. This is incredibly important in the age of social media because when you're on Facebook or Etsy or all of those other sites that I don't remember, it is really easy not to be buying up that time. It's really easy to be, the term that we use is surfing, right? Surfing the web. I would call all of us, and some of you adults are thinking, those kids. No, I see some of you adults on Facebook too. We need to be cautious and careful with our time. It is precious, and we need to be making the best use of the time. Again, the sense of urgency returns. That while walking in wisdom, we make the best use of the time. And oftentimes this brings us to a dilemma. Point C. Often we must decide not between good and bad, but between better and best. Because what I didn't just do was demonize Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, it is a useful tool. Or I should rephrase that. It can be a useful tool. Let's make the best use of the time. With your TV... Are you making the best use of the time? With your iPod, are you making the best use of the time? This hurts me, but with your reading, are you making the best use of the time? Surely you couldn't waste your time reading. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) And so oftentimes we're not just deciding between, this is bad, so I'll do this. Oftentimes we have a better best decision to make. This is good, but is this better? Is this best? How should we use our time in light of the age, in light of what's going on around us, in light of the fact that there are outsiders? Are we making the best use of our time? And I'm not even going to go into any more applications because right now I'm asking the Holy Spirit to put those applications on your heart because you know the places that you need to make better use of your time at. And so this week, this is a call to make the best use of your time. We have to move on. Point D takes us into verse 6. Salty speech. I'm going to define that in a second. Salty speech is defined by purity, flavor, and grace. Salty speech is defined by purity, flavor, and grace. Now, salty speech in our culture is not necessarily looked at that way. When you think of salty speech, you may think of a a, a drunken sailor not watching his tongue. And so we, we need to use the, the image of the first century to help us understand this. But look at verse 6. Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Really important that we, we see this speech and we go to James 3, talking about the tongue. We go to Proverbs and look at how we're to use our speech. Um, Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say is not just throwaway. We'll be judged for every idle word, Jesus says. We need to be careful with our speech. So we let it be defined by purity, flavor, and grace. There's an ancient story that is said that Bios, a wise man of ancient Greece, was sent an animal to sacrifice. He was instructed to send back to the donor, get this, the best and worst parts of the animal. 
he sent the donor just one item. He sent him the tongue. For the tongue is indeed the best and the worst of man. James 3 says, With this tongue we curse men and we praise God. Same tongue. So we need to be careful with our speech. When we're thinking about outsiders, when we're thinking about those who don't know Jesus, when we're thinking about those who need to see someone who's living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we need to watch our tongues. Watch your tongue. Salt in the ancient world purified, it preserved, and it added flavor. In fact, there's pretty good evidence that in the ancient world, you didn't eat anything without putting some salt on it. Some of you do that today. You don't eat anything without putting some salt on it. Why? Because it adds flavor. It adds flavor to it. And so salty speech was also a common metaphor in the Greek world to talk about witty, kind of humorous, winsome speech, clever And so that might be part of what Paul is saying here, that we should be um, careful in how we use our words, but that we should also kind of put some flavor, the spice of life in how we speak. We shouldn't be boring. We should be the kind of people that have salty speech in the sense that our speech is gracious. Gracious may, may even be seen as graceful. The way you speak is graceful. Full of grace in things that you say. Is what you say helpful to others? Are you building others up in what you say? Or are you tearing others down? What an example we have to set for our children, for those around us with the way we use our tongues. We must be very careful in how we use our words. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Sounds very similar to 1 Peter 3, where you have an answer to those who ask you, Okay, we need to be having words that build up, that are able to answer. And listen, folks, we're in an uphill battle here. Um, so, sometimes the culture sees Christians as the fighting fundies, fighting fundamentalists that are just rawn, attacking with words. Um, they see uh, the folks from uh, Westboro Baptist Church at funerals of uh, service men and women from America holding up signs that say horrible things about people. That we're in an uphill battle, folks, because some people think that those people define us. So we must be intentional about our words. We must be graceful and gracious in how we speak. Do the words that come out of your mouth build others up? Are they salty in the right way? Are the words you say here at church different than the words you use at home? Are they different than the way you use words at work? That's inexcusable for the Christian. First, go back to Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we must speak like those who have been saved by grace. And Gandhi said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's condemning language. We ought to strive to be the kind of people that speak in the way that Jesus spoke. That we would be quick to apologize when we misspeak, when we sin against others with our words. We need to be those who quickly apologize for that. So this morning we have a challenge. We have an admonition that we are to be the kind of people that intentionally pray for ourselves and for others. And we're to be the kind of people that live our lives before the world in a kind of way that will flavor everything. 
that will help others see that we're different because of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning for those of you who, who are not Christians, who are here, here, you're faking it, you've grown up in the church, you're, you're walking the walk here, you're talking to talk here. I would pray even this morning that you would bow the knee before King Jesus, submit your life to him, repent of your sin, trust Christ, that his death on the cross was in your place for your sin and that his resurrection guarantees ours. That's the good news. And that's how we ought to speak and that's how we ought to live. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are challenged. We are perhaps maybe a little annoyed that you would convict us in this way. But Father, help us to react well that you want us to live this way because it is more like your son, Jesus Christ, that it is a better witness to a lost and dying world and that we need you. And so we pray. We trust you and so we pray. Father, this morning we would ask that we would go forth from this place and not forget this message, but that your Holy Spirit would stamp this on our hearts, that we would remember this throughout the week and that we would be the kind of people that pray and speak and act in accordance with your will. Give us wisdom. We so need it. In Jesus' name, amen.